Hey guys, TGIF, welcome to the weekend. Thank God it's here. I am so ready for a break. Tonight I got the privilege of sitting down with my childhood ride or die. Um, it was such a great talk. We got to sit down on a Skype call. Um, and although I've known her for about two decades, I got to see this whole new side of her that I had never seen before. So it was really special to me. And I really hope you enjoy this episode. So my name is Kendra Vickers, and I have been friends with Savannah for nearly 20 years, which is crazy to think about. (laughs) Um, Today, I'm going to be talking about my experience with pregnancy and postpartum depression um, and some things that I struggled with as a mom to two instead of things that I experienced with my first child. Okay. Um, So did you start experiencing depression in your pregnancy or did you notice it more postpartum? I didn't experience depression necessarily during pregnancy. Instead, I found myself in a worst case scenario situation where I constantly found myself envisioning anything that could go wrong with my pregnancy. I lived in a second story apartment, so I would frequently think, oh no, if I miss this step, I'm going to fall down the steps, I'm going to lose my pregnancy. Or driving home in San Diego, I would envision myself crashing into the medians. Uh, Any situation that there could be something that could go wrong, I would visually see it playing out in my head. And I'm sure, like, the normal pregnancy cramps and things did not make that any easier, right? (laughs) Every odd cramp or feeling was like, oh, my God, this is it. This is the end. Absolutely. With my first child, too, with my daughter, the pregnancy, I mean, as a first-time mom, pregnancy, there's no normal. You, You don't have anything to compare it to. You've never experienced it before. So with my daughter... She sat extremely low. I was dilated extremely early. At five months, I was already five months dilated. And so they didn't put me on bed rest, but I was limited duty on everything. And I kept having contractions. So I kept having to go to labor and delivery. And I kept envisioning, oh, no, she's going to be born early. I'm going to lose her or she's going to be in the NICU for months and months. So that was not easy at all. (laughs) Yeah. I, there's nothing I can even compare to having pregnancy anxiety. Like I've had anxiety most of my adult life and I can even remember it back when I was a teenager, but the anxiety you have when you're pregnant, like you want something so bad and then it becomes the most important thing in your life. And this baby is all there is the end all be all to happiness. And then any sort of like twinge is like, it's your worst fear. Like you're going to lose the thing that means the most to you. And it's freaking petrifying. Yeah, it was like living in fight or flight mode for nine months straight. <laughs> All the time, yeah. And I would talk to my girlfriends about it. And I remember one of my girlfriends, Julia, she was pregnant at the same time as me. And she told me one time, she's like, you have to stop thinking like that because you can literally think yourself into something bad happening. And then I was like, oh my God, she's so right. Like now I have to stop thinking all negative things because somehow I'm going to manifest that negative thought, you know? So it just made it so much worse. It got stuck in my head. Like, oh my God, I'm going to do this to myself. So it's scary. It's, and the anxiety you have when you're pregnant doesn't even compare to after the kid's born. No. Oh no. I, I mean, I think now that my kids are 
almost eight and six, I've gotten to the point that it's like, meh, you're a bouncy ball. Get up. You're <laughs> pretty but resilient. Those baby phases and the toddler phases, because they're not quite stable. <sighs> My son, there's just nothing that compares to what I've been through because of him. Like, as a mom, the level of anxiety and the medical things that we've gone through with him, it's terrifying. I'm like, you're literally going to kill me because of stress. That's it. I'm only yeah. 30 years old, and I feel like I'm 97. I'm going to have a gray by the time I'm 35. Yeah. yeah. And the things that didn't bother me before, like, we bought our house. I didn't mind that it was a two-story. I was like, you know, whatever. I'll walk my fat ass up the stairs. It's fine. After I had the baby, the two-story became my worst nightmare. Every single time I would go to go downstairs, all I could envision was me falling with the baby. And then I was yep. like, I will never have another two-story. Like, I'm done with the stairs. I'm not dealing with, like, the safety hazard anymore. I've never been scared of stairs, but having the baby in my arms, it was terrifying. And I would hold the baby, like, wrapped up and be walking down the stairs, holding the railing, and then, like, being prepared, like prematurely to already drop him and how am I going to toss him and how's how's the safest way he's going to land and then do I you know land on my back what if then I'm paralyzed and now Bobby's at work and I'm laying here on the stairs with the baby in my arms paralyzed because I can't move and where's my phone and just it's a non-stop loop of holy shit this is terrifying I've got him not alone in the worst case scenario playing through my head now <laughs> yeah it's like, like you know all how the time when you go to a restaurant, guys would be like, oh, I need to sit facing the door, you know, or I got to have an exit plan. It's like that for moms, too. But we're not worried about being shot in a Walmart. Like, we're worried about tumbling down the stairs with our child or somehow veering off the road and killing ourselves. And it's it's scary. Yep. yep. <laughs> it's something a dude would totally not understand. Like, if I were to tell Bobby that every single time I tried to walk downstairs, I envisioned dropping our child, he would think I was fucking bonkers. Yeah. Oh, the worst for me was when I got pregnant, I was still on my ship. And I don't know if you've ever been on a Navy ship, but when you go into, uh, they have like, so anytime you go underway, we set what's called, uh, we, we secure it. I, I don't want to go into like Navy lingo because the Navy has its own, <laughs> it's entirely own language. We don't blend with any other branch of the military. So we set the scuttles, these things, like these manholes you have to crawl through, and then those go to stairs. It's literally, you put your feet through the hole, and then you walk down the stairs. And I ended up staying on my ship. I was the longest female to stay on my ship in the history of my ship. Every other female is, within a week, they were off. For me, they kept me until my 20-week mark. I found out at six weeks. So they kept me for another 14 weeks on my ship. And I'm getting pretty big at this point, trying to fit through these little manholes. I fell down those stairs more than once. And so every time my foot starts to slip a little on the stairs, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to fall down these stairs. I'm going to hit my face on, like, this. They have, we call them knee knockers. But they're these big metal slabs to teach you to pick up your feet and step over them so you can secure it so water doesn't get in. And I'm like, I'm going to be unconscious from smashing my face on a knee knocker and I'm going to bleed out and lose this baby. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. every time, worst case scenario, it was always there. I can even envision that knee knocker thing you're talking about. Like, I've never been on a Navy ship, but I've seen Pearl Harbor. So, you know, I'm basically like, 
basically been in the Navy my whole life. I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, can you describe what your depression was like um, postpartum? With my daughter, nothing. I was in baby heaven. I had this perfect little human. Everything was great and glorious. It didn't matter. I was sleep deprived. So I expected it to be the same when my son was born. Like everybody says, it's so different with your boys. You've got mommy's little boy. And it's true. It's a completely different bond. But there was something off. I I can't even explain it. I, I loved him with every ounce of my being but I also it was easy for me to get frustrated I would get angry at nothing I had a really hard time bonding with Layla anymore once he was born um I I would find myself crying and so I went to my six-week postpartum appointment and you know they have those questionnaires you have to fill out and I wrote in there that I thought I was suffering with postpartum depression so when I went in, I spoke to my doctor. She said that it was very likely that I was, but I was still active duty when my son was born. And mental health is extremely difficult to get into. So there were no psychologists and no psychiatrists that were available for me to speak to. And she told me she would get me a social worker to work with. And due to personal experience, I came from a not very healthy relationship, I was concerned with the connotation of a social worker. When they told me a social worker was going to come in and speak to me, I thought they were immediately going to deem me an unfit parent and they were going to take my children from me. So instead of calling this social worker, I just dealt with it. No, no, no. Nope. I can handle it. It's not postpartum depression. It's not worth me losing my kids. So I, I, I continue to deal with it at home by myself. Um, at the time, my their dad was living in a different state. So I was full-time active duty military, full-time single mom, living in a place where I didn't have much of a support system. My whole family lived in different states and had only visited me once. So I'm trying to manage this. And my two-year-old walks up to me and normally, it'd be the cutest thing in the world. She couldn't say chocolate milk. So she came up to me and she said, mama, I want bacamel. And I used to love how she called chocolate milk bacamel. It was my favorite thing. And on this particular day, it literally, she didn't throw a fit. She wasn't upset. She was happy with her desperate pigtails poking out and says, mama, I want bacamel. And I lost it. I'm not proud to admit it, but I full-blown lost my shit on my barely two-year-old. And at this point, I had been dealing with it for eight months. My son was eight months old. And I went into my room, and I had a full-blown anxiety attack. And normally, I can bring myself out of it. Give me a few minutes. I breathe. I'm good. And this one wasn't good at all. It was hours I texted their dad and he sent my neighbor over to grab my kids just so they could be tended to. And the next morning I woke up at four o'clock in the morning and I text my command and I said, hey, I'm not coming in. I'm dropping my kids off at daycare and I'm going to the emergency room because something is not right. That was my moment. I mean, I had struggled for eight months trying to be the best mom and at that moment, I knew when my daughter asked me for chocolate milk and I had that explosive of a reaction that 
I had hit my absolute limit. There was no more trying to deal with it on my own. I needed legitimate help. And at that point, it became the experimental. Let's try this antidepressant. Let's try this antidepressant. We're going to put you on a waiver to get you into psychology. Um, but they, again, when I went to the emergency room, told me, we're going to assign a social worker to you. And I broke down in the hospital. I was like, I can't lose my kids. You can't take my babies away from me. They're my sole purpose in life right now. And they told me, no, no, no. We're not here to take your kids from you. We're giving you a social worker because they can act in the capacity of a psychologist until we can get you in with an actual psychologist. And then at that moment, I felt like I had failed my kids because what I could have solved seven months before, I had interpreted in my own way as this negative thing that was going to ruin all of our lives. And instead, I had struggled in silence. Like, I couldn't admit it to my mom because my mom can't be worried from several states away. I couldn't admit it to my fiancé at the time because how is he supposed to continue working several states away and provide a life for, for us from afar if he's worried about us? I mean, there were so many things and so many capacities that that were playing against me in my own head. I feel like... I could have honestly opened up to them and they would have been there, but I was afraid of burdening everybody else. And so I suffered in silence with this huge struggle that I couldn't even articulate to anybody. I couldn't explain why I was feeling any way or why I didn't want the baby near me. I mean, I listened to your breastfeeding episode and for me with my son, I was lucky. I breastfed for 18 months. I was literally a cow. Uh -huh. Like there was so much milk. It was, a, it was never a struggle with him. And instead of me feeling this incredible bond with him, uh -huh. I was angry. I'm like, ah, oh, get off of me. When are you going to be done with this? I was just, I was so angry. And instead of thinking like, okay, if I switch to formula and I take a step back, maybe I'll have a little bit more time to breathe and not feel like my body is being controlled by somebody else. Not that it was, but just I had nothing for me uh -huh. and no help on the emotional support side. So I was slowly just losing every ounce of who I was as a person. I want to circle back to something that I found interesting. You said that you were basically kicking yourself in the ass because this was something that could have been solved seven, eight months ago. But because of this negative connotation that you have with the word social social worker, I feel like that's something where when you're in healthcare and I've been in healthcare for basically my whole adult adult life, um, the way you approach things with patients, there are certain words that you know could be a trigger, right? Okay, so if I'm telling a patient like, hey, we're going to assign a social worker, that's something where I would immediately have explained um, what they explained to you in the hospital being like, don't freak out. They're not here to take your kids. They're just going to act, you know, in this capacity. So I really feel like the person that you spoke with originally kind of failed you and not explaining that to you, especially knowing your patient history and that you were there for depression. Like somebody failed you along those lines in the healthcare system. And that makes me really sad because it makes me wonder I mean, obviously that it happened to you, that that's terrible, but how many other women are going through the same thing? How many other women are getting to the point where they're 
hurting themselves, they're hurting their kids, they're um, neglecting themselves or, you know, whatever, because somebody's not explaining to them what's actually going on. And especially in the moment of depression, you have so many things going on in your head that you really cannot even focus on a single thing. So the doctor can be looking you right in the eyes and you're not hearing a freaking word he's saying. Absolutely. So, and I, I can relate so on so many levels because when you're talking about how like mothers hurt themselves or they they hurt their children, I have heard so many stories of moms that like kill their children because they love them so much. They're protecting them for further pain. Um, and <clears throat> As a teenager, young adult, I couldn't wrap my head around that. How could anybody in their right mind ever think that that's okay? And it's not. It's 100% not okay. I'm definitely not justifying it. But I remember when I finally did get a psychologist, I still hadn't gotten put onto a medication that was working for me. And I started crying. And I told them, I was like, there were times when I thought to myself that if I did take their lives in a painless way, I would be saving them from all of the pain I'm going to be causing them from being a failure as a mom. Or I would think on the converse and think to myself, if I end my life now, they'll all be better off without me. And I think so many people can resonate with that because I know I'm not alone in thinking that thought. And it's so far from the truth. But when you've gotten into that dark of a hole, there's no talking to somebody to make it make sense. Like, no, 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 that's not true. There is literally nothing you could have said to me in that moment to convince me otherwise. Mm-hmm. I had hit such a low in my life because I'd struggled with it for so long that I was literally ready to walk out of this world. I mean, you know the situation that I was in as far as my parenting situation goes. And I truly and honestly believed that my children would be better off with their father than they would be with me. And I think you can understand how bad that means as far as where I was mentally, because there just isn't a situation where they would be better off. So the fact that I had hit that low, if somebody had just told me in that moment, we're going to get a social worker, they had my medical record. They they knew my medical history. They knew that there had been a social worker with my daughter that didn't have a positive connotation. Mm-hmm. So if they had looked at that and said, okay, we're going to get you a social worker strictly for counseling purposes, strictly right. to, to come to your, they told, I mean, the military has, I don't know if it's all branches, but the Navy has a program where volunteers social workers will come and they'll help you with your kids to give you time to breathe and just to go take a shower, to go do something so that you can recuperate. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wasn't aware of any of these programs. So had they explained to me what that capacity of a social worker would mean for me, I would have taken full advantage of it immediately. But instead I was so scared of losing my kids that I suffered in silence for more than half a year. And so I feel ashamed that that's, that was my son's first year of life. And that was such a monumental part of my daughter's development. I mean, that's all from two to almost three years old that she was experiencing me through my worst. 
And so I feel ashamed that they had to to witness that or experience that kind of separation and detachment. But at the same time, I'm glad that at least Layla was able to see the improvements and able to recognize that once I was getting help, even if I did have an episode and I did get angry with her or yell at her, I was able to take a step back, come back in, reevaluate and say, sissy, I'm sorry, I was in the wrong. I shouldn't have reacted that way. And so she got to see those monumental emotional changes. And so, I mean, that's good. I just wish that they hadn't had to experience the initial part of it. Right. And thankfully for us, uh, kids are so resilient that you can probably ask her about this in a few years and she's not going to know what you're talking about. (laughs) Nope. She and that that she now at eight years old understands when I'm frustrated and she'll come in and she'll be like, I'm sorry you're having a bad day, mom. Would you like some Cheerios? <laughs> she just, she's cute and tries to provide me like sweet little things to cheer me up. Or my sour patch kid of a son will walk in. He'll be a terrorist all day. And then I'm like, you're so beautiful, mommy. I'm like, <laughs> Perfect He's moment. I needed that. Yep. That's the boy in him. Yep. Um, so one thing when you were talking about earlier about being like in this place where um, you're just in such a dark hole mentally that there's nothing anybody could tell you that would bring you out of that space. I can definitely relate to that because when I was going through my depression, when I was pregnant, it felt like everybody had these, um, I'm not really sure how to word it. These like glazy answers, like they just kind of threw some comforting thing like words out there in hopes that it would make me feel better. And even though I know it was coming from like the best, you know, intentions, it came from, you know, a place of love. It was just like, my husband told me one time that I should just feel grateful to be pregnant. And I'm just looking at him like, yeah, freaking obviously. Like, I know I'm supposed to feel that way. You telling me that's how I should feel does not help. And then when I would go over to moms my mom just was hurting so bad watching me hurt and she would just tell me like babe like when you have your baby it's going to be so worth it you're not going to remember any of this it's it's going to be okay you're going to feel so great I'm just like yeah but that doesn't help me right now right now I want to die I want to crawl in my bed and not wake up and I even after I had Jameson and I was dealing with a little bit of the postpartum then I told my mom like I will never be able to understand how women can shake their babies. I don't understand that part. Hurting your child. And it's, I'm trying not to get it out in like a way that I don't understand. Like the like impulse, you know, like snapping. I completely understand that. But it would take way more for me to hurt my child than it would for me to hurt me. I I would not shake Jameson, but I might go in my bathroom and hurt myself. Or, you know, cope at the bottom of a bottle or, you know, whatever. He would be fine. He's safe. But I'm not. And that's hard as a parent because they always tell you, like, once you become a parent, it's not about you anymore. So we just get that pounded into our heads. Like, once you're a parent, you no longer matter. It's not about you. Don't think about yourself. It's only about the baby. And then you have this kid and you're like, I love you so much. But also, I don't know if I'm going to survive being around you. Like, you are my whole life. And also I might not survive. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. I had so many situations like that where I was ready 
to do what it took to end my own suffering, my own pain. But at the same time, I think my kids saved me because, I mean, the situation, the fact that I was a single mom out in San Diego, if something happened to me, how would my kids be found? Like, Mm -hmm. these are things that literally went through my head. Well, if I killed myself tonight, would anybody get to my kids in time to make sure that they didn't starve or to make sure that their diapers are changed and they don't get some sort of infection? Or, you know, I was always, even though I was in so much pain and wanted to end my pain, I was always in mom mode. And so making sure that they were taken care of was always my first priority. But I also kind of wonder if maybe that's where we sometimes fail as parents. Obviously, the needs of the child need to be met. But so many times I've heard over and over, you can't pour from an empty cup. You need to pour into yourself or you can't pour into others. And I get it. But at the same time, it's like when you have babies, even just one, and then you add multiples into the mix, how do you find time? to pour into yourself. I don't have time at the end of the night because I just want to sleep. I don't want to do anything else. I don't want to wash the clothes or clean the house, do the dishes. I want to sleep. So how do I find time to go get a pedicure or anything else? And so I think it's so important that as mothers, every woman finds something that allows them to pour into themselves, whether it's 15 minutes a day, an hour a day, or maybe once a month, whatever the case may be, however you can allocate it in your life, you have to find a way to pour into you. Because maybe if I wasn't doing it all alone, all the time, their dad would come out once every six weeks for a weekend. But then it was like, okay, well, we need to do something as a couple with the kids because he doesn't get time with the kids. So I still didn't get any time to pour into me. And maybe if I had had something to unwind, to de-stress, that postpartum would have, it wouldn't have lasted as long as it did. I don't know. But I think it's important that women don't feel shamed or guilty, one, for feeling the things they're feeling, because one, this is new to you. Whether you're a new mom or you have five kids, every pregnancy is different, every child is different, every experience is different. You can't feel guilty or shame for the way that you're perceiving your reality. And two, you shouldn't feel guilty or shame for needing time to yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, and I don't know if this is um, if this is the case at your house, at my house, I feel like I'm so far at the bottom of the totem pole that it's so hard. So like try to explain Jameson's at the top. Obviously he has the most needs that need to be met. He's the most important person in our home. Um, below him is Bobby. Bobby has his needs. I have to take care of him, make sure he's happy, fed, all that stuff. Then there's the dogs. The dogs don't know any better. They don't know that they're the third man on the totem pole. They're just like, I'm hungry. I need to be fed. And then there's the house. The house needs to be taken care of. The clothes need to be done. The dishes need to be done. All this stuff needs to be done. And then I'm also a volleyball coach, so I have to take care of practices and things. And then at the very bottom is me just wondering, like, when when do I get time? You know? Mm-hmm. But then... When I do get a second, when I can go take a shower by myself, when I can go 
down to Walmart by myself or whatever, you know, all these mom breaks I get, then I just have guilt about not being with my kid. Like everybody tells you, oh, like the dishes can wait. That's fine. But if the dishes wait, who will do them? <laughs> like, <Right>. It still <laughs> needs to be done. Right. So I'm a low, lowest man on the totem pole. Who's taking care of me? Because I don't have the energy or the time by the time it reaches me for my needs to take care of me. Right. Absolutely. Especially I feel like felt that most when I was in San Diego because there was no one I could lean on. I mean, his mom would come down from LA and oh, she was such a godsend. His mom, bless her soul, she was the best human being I could have ever asked for as a mother-in-law. So I am so thankful for that woman and that I had her for as many years as I did. But unless she was actively driving down to San Diego, which shortly after, just a few months after he left, I think it was five months later, she was diagnosed with brain cancer and her driver's license was taken away. So, I mean, that as far as the single mom stint was very short lived. Um, But I felt that all the time because there was literally no one who could step in and take care of the house for me or the kids or, or whatever. I think once every six months or so their dad would have a maid come in and do a deep clean of the house to help me because I had reached my peak and I was ready to implode. Um, But beyond that, it was always on me. And then with the kids' medical conditions, both of them had baby asthma and were on the nebulizers. And I mean, it was just like, so much that I I couldn't fathom ever putting myself first. Yeah. And now, thanks to self-sufficient children at this point, (laughs) for the most part, I'm slowly finding that time. But still, it's, okay, well, I've got soccer to get to, and Layla has theater, and the boyfriend has his soccer game, and and the kids have this parent-teacher conference, and then they've got the movie night at the school, and now we deal with a different level of complexities. We've got to get the kids to all of their events. And and now I, again, <laughs> come at the bottom, um, which, I mean, that's something I think recently I've really been struggling with because, I, as you know, I do my self-portraits, my photography and whatnot, and my self-portraits are my weekly outlet. I get one prompt every week and, okay, I'm going to take my artistic spin on this. I'm going to go crazy. And I had a friend message me tonight. She's a mom of twin boys that just turned a year old. And she says, how do you find time? She saw my my um, Snapchat that I was making prosthetics. And I was like, I don't have time. And she said, it looks to me like you do. No, no, I'm multitasking. You see, I cook dinner while my son's on the counter reading to me for his 30 minutes so that way we can get his reading goals in. And then while I'm doing the dishes, I'm listening to my daughter practice her math questions. Like, there isn't time. I just have to multitask in every capacity of my life until I close my eyes. And isn't it crazy how we grow up putting our parents, um, mostly our mom, since we're on that subject right now, we put our moms on this pedestal of like, this woman is superwoman. She, my mom had this uncanny ability to make a dollar stretch for a week. I don't know how she did it with four kids. That woman is a magician, but we would be (laughs) so broke and she would still find money for us to do the things that we needed or if we need a new clothes or whatever, she just made it appear. And 
I just remember being just so in awe of her. Like she just freaking handles it. She doesn't complain. She does not feel inside for herself. My dad was um, uh, a minor and worked shift work. And most of the time he was gone or he was sleeping and she would handle all of the things and still do dinner and still make sure the laundry was done and still help us with homework and make sure we were to our events on time and all this stuff. And now that I'm a mom and I'm going through that stuff myself, I'm like, how did she do it? Like she never once was like, you freaking assholes making me drive all over the place. And now I got to cook dinner and all this stuff. And she was making it though. <laughs> yeah. Like she was just this person. I was so in awe of because she was just such a great multitasker. And she just, she cried on the inside like a winner. She was, <laughs> she was a champ. She just buried it and handled it. And now that I'm a mom, I'm like, oh my God, how do I do it? Like, I can't even get Jameson to sit on the couch for five minutes to watch Coco Melon so I can get dinner done. And uh, Bobby comes home and he's ready for dinner in bed. And I'm like, sorry, like I basically sat on the couch for the last 15 minutes because your kid will not let me go. <laughs> so I'm your sorry that the house is a mess people. and we're going to starve. But your, your mom made it look easy. I mean, she might have had four kids, but if we're being totally honest here, she had many more than four because she adopted every kid in the neighborhood. Really? I mean, yeah. I basically lived at your guys' house and not only did she work full time in the office, but she's doing the mom thing with teenagers to infants and she's got everybody else's kids in the house and she's feeding us and she's supporting our fashion shows and <laughs> listening to our concerts. I mean... I look back and some of my favorite memories, a lot of my favorite memories growing up are at your house. And then I think of being your mom right now. If I was sitting in my house, okay, and your mom's house was always immaculate, might I add, like always spotless. I'm looking at my room right now. This is my bedroom and I can't even get it together. Like my house is... Oh, how she managed to do all of it. I think right now I'm like my mind, I've got so much to do. I need to get this done. I have a friend coming. We've got birthday parties tomorrow. And your mom would still be like, oh, let's hear your concert. I'm like, <laughs> how? She is a saint. I pray to God that by the time my kids are that age, I have the patience that she has or had because I just... I don't, I mean, even to this day, I'm 30 years old and your mom is like, come on in. I've got the kids. <laughs> like, man, your mom, yeah. I want to be, a, your mom is a mom of all moms. She really is. And the only thing she does better than being a mom is being a grandma. Like Jameson can do no wrong. He can be such a turd at home. And I'm like, all right, we're going to go see Grammy, get out of the house a little bit. We'll go over there and she's just like, oh, he's fine. He's a saint. Like she thinks the sun shines out that boy's ass no matter <laughs> the day. And she, yeah, she's just amazing. And I hope like how you hope you have the patience. I hope by the time my kid is old enough to sing Cheetah Girl songs to me in the middle of the day with no alcohol involved, I'm senile because that's the only way I'm getting through that. <laughs> I know. That's what I think. I'm like, how? Because if my my daughter is obsessed with like creepy songs and they're entertaining to watch because she gets, I mean, she, her red hair, she gets so into it. And I'm like, even those as entertaining as they are, because she does these like 
I don't even know the names of the song. There's like this Timmy trumpet song, and she's like, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> she gets so into it and sounds so creepy. And I want to laugh and enjoy it, but at the same time, I'm like, how long is this song? I've got stuff to do. <laughs> I forget I need to stop and enjoy it because at some point she's going to be too cool for me. Right. And then I'm going to want that time. But I just, she made it look so easy to us as kids. Like, oh, your mom's the coolest. Even yeah. my mom, I don't know how she found as much time as she did being a single mom to us three and, and working as hard as she did. But I can tell you what, now as a mom, I can tell you how much I took my mom for granted. Definitely. You just expect it as a kid. You're a mom. It's what you're supposed to do. And I'm like, no, no. <laughs> Wrong. As a mom, I'm still a human being first. <laughs> yeah. I remember when I was a senior and everybody else was getting their senior pictures done. Everybody looked so great and I was so jealous. And by this point, um, my parents had divorced. So I had a single mom with four kids. And... I remember talking to her about getting my senior portraits done and she was just like, you know, we can't really afford it. And I gave her such a bad attitude, not understanding that money didn't just appear in the bank account. Like, like I said, she's great at stretching money, but when she's to the point where she's like, okay, we are broke. That means we are broke. Like do not ask for things. And I remember just being such an asshole about it. Like this is my senior year. How are you not gonna, let me get pictures done, you know, and the woman still worked it out. I don't know where she pulled the money from. Maybe she was turning tricks in Tonopah. I don't know what kind of sorcery that woman did, but she still managed to afford it. Now as an adult, I look back and I'm like, I was such an asshole. Like I oh, yeah. did not care that she was struggling. I did not care that she had three other mouths to feed, or maybe she went to bed hungry because she couldn't afford to feed herself. None of that occurred to me. I was just like, this is what I need. This is what I want. You're the mom. Figure it out. And she did. Yeah. Moms are amazing. I look back at it now and I think of all the times I told my mom I hated her. I wasn't a bad kid. As far as getting into trouble and things go, I'd say I was a pretty good kid. Like, one of the... Me compared to my brother. <laughs> but... I had an attitude from hell. And so my poor mom had to deal with that. And it was always just like, I hate you. You're ruining my life. <laughs> I can't wait till I've already gotten it from Layla. So I know it's coming when she's a teenager. <laughs> I'm terrified. But I genuinely did not get it until I had kids. And then, I mean, I started to get it once I moved out on my own and it was like, oh, well, I've got bills to pay and I've got responsibilities and I've got a job and I can't, it doesn't matter that I'm tired. But then when you become a mom, I think it really hits you like, oh, well, this is what it was like for her. Sorry, mom. <laughs> yeah. And I've like literally texted my mom in the middle of the day or super late at night and been like, I'm really sorry. Remember that time when I was an asshole about this? And I'm really sorry because I had no right to act like that, blah, blah, blah. And she'll just be like, you're fine. Like, she either doesn't remember it or has forgiven me already or, you know, accepted the apology she never got, whatever it was. But I carry so much guilt for the way that I treated her. And let this just be a message to anybody who's listening in their car to the podcast right now. If you have your kids with you kids your mom is a freaking saint there is nothing you could do that would keep her from loving you 
And sometimes she cries herself to sleep at night because she feels like she's failing you. And you just, you have the best mom in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Moms are the real MVPs. Mm-hmm. I got to give it to my mom. I ha- You have to give credit where credit is due. And when it finally hit me who and what my mom was, man, that hit me like a freight train right smack dab in the face. <laughs> Sorry about it, mom. I mean, she's always known. I think as a mom, we have to allow our, our kids to make mistakes. No matter how much we know it's going to hurt them, we can warn them, we can teach them, we can guide them. But at the end of the day, we all have our own lives. And my mom warned me. And I remember when I told her I was getting married, she told me, I'm only going to ask you one time and I'm going to drop it and I'm going to leave it at this. Are you sure this is what you want to do, that this is who you want to spend the rest of your life with? And of course, oh yeah, no, 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 nobody knows them like I do, blah, blah, blah. I justify the situation. And my mom, every, I think a lot of kids are scared to go to their parents with their mistakes and be like, you were right. Because they're afraid to hear that, haha, I was right, you were wrong, you should have listened, which I got plenty of times as a kid for certain things. But in that moment, my mom was just like, what can I do? How can I help? How do you need me? Yeah. It's like, your moms, moms create this safe space for you that even at 30 years old, I can call my mom in the middle of the night crying Because she's the only person I want to talk to. She's the only person who's going to get what I need to talk about. Uh She's the only person who understands me better than I understand myself. Uh Absolutely. So I think the fact that moms suffer in silence. And I mean, everything my mom went through that now I understand what it was that I was witnessing as a kid that I couldn't really completely fathom. Now I'm like, holy cow, how did she hold it together all that time? Mm-hmm. And, and then, never seen your mom once, like, genuinely pissed off, never once. And um, my mom is mostly a girl mom. We have my brother there in the middle. But your mom had two boys. And as somebody who has personal experience with Christopher and was close with Christopher for a lot of years... Um, kudos to your mom for not having a drug problem, um, (laughs) for never being committed. I mean, Christopher was, he was work. He, he was work at times. So, and I, I honestly think she was very graceful. I think his uh, daughter is what saved his life. Hands down. Funny how a kid can save your life time and time again. Not even trying. And I love seeing all his stuff on social media. He doesn't post very often, but seeing pictures of like his kids on his motorcycles and stuff with him, it's great. It's great seeing the person I knew as a little boy now is like a good man. He's getting married. He's got his life together. It's it's great. And I mm-hmm. think that's all, well, maybe not all, but it's mostly credit to parenting. Your mom showed him what he needed to do, where he needed to be. Right. I think the hard thing, too, is, like I touched on earlier, there's only so much we can tell our kids. Like, there's only so much we can guide them and teach them. As we all know, well, as you and I know, Chris made his mistakes in high school. (laughs) 
And she received so much backlash from the town over that. The whole town was saying, well, maybe if parents were involved, maybe if people taught their kids, blah, blah, blah. Like, it was all directed at how the parents had failed the kids. But at the end of the day, he was 18 years old. We didn't live in the town anymore. He turned 18 and he said, toodaloo, I'm out. He can do whatever he wants. He wasn't a failure because while he might have gotten in trouble, he completed all of his finals and submitted them before the senior prank. So he graduated. He didn't get a GED. He graduated with his diploma. He has, I'm pretty sure the guy makes more money than I do and I've got my master's degree. Like he's killing it in every aspect of his life. And yeah, he made one mistake, but at the end of the day, that one mistake didn't define his life. He Mm -hmm. recognized his mistake. He doesn't regret it, by the way, I've asked. (laughs) It's like a token for him, this little trophy. Um, He made his one mistake and then he got his life together. He said, okay, well, I don't get to be a teenage boy anymore. Like it's time for me to grow up, to be a dad, to be a man, to be, well, now he's engaged. So soon to be husband to his soon to be wife. But he didn't let that one mistake say, okay, well, I went to jail. So now I'm just going to keep going to jail for various reasons. I'm going to follow down this path of our family and, and get into drugs or I'm going to be an alcoholic like this side of my family or whatever. Like he made a life for himself. Mm-hmm. So as parents, we struggle. I think I personally struggle every day. Like, ah, oh, what if I'm failing you? What if I'm not good enough? I'm not teaching you the right things. But then I think of my mom and I'm like, she had to have been feeling the same way with everything she was dealing with us as kids. Mm-hmm. And I'd say we all turned out pretty well. Yeah, and not even, like, aside from the mistakes that Christopher made when we were kids, he was still, he never was not a good person. He -hmm. was never the kind of guy that you would be like, oh, don't go hang out with him. You know, he's he's not good people. And I remember the morning um, when we found out about the prank, which is a story for another time for anybody who's listening. Um, (laughs) When we found out who it was that Christopher was involved, I remember texting you and being like, do you know where Chris is at? And I don't remember what you said. I think you were like, no, or something like that. And I was like, the cops are looking for him. So even though I loved you, I adore you, I respect the hell out of you, it was like, oh, crap, Chris is in trouble. So (laughs) here's your warning. You know, like I was not about to just let the cops find him or find you and have no heads up. I was like, okay, he messed up here's your warning so yeah. you're not blindsided <laughs> oh yeah and I was clear across the country when I found out about all of that I was in Florida <laughs> yeah it was worthy of getting a warning he knew he messed up he knew he was not going to get off scot-free but yep. he actually found out that they were pregnant as the police pulled up to arrest him so he was on the phone with her and she's like I'm pregnant and he's like, I'm going to need to call you back. I'm pretty sure I'm getting arrested right now. <laughs> Every guy, you know, that's like a great story. Like, oh, how did you tell your husband that you were pregnant? Well, see, um, he was getting arrested. <laughs> and this is where your girlfriends are like, and that wasn't a red flag? Oh, no, it, it all turned out fine. And he is with the same person he's been with forever has all his kids with has been with since what we were in high school or shortly after high school 
It so, was during high school. Yeah, they met their senior year. So, well, they started dating their senior year. He was 17 when they got pregnant and 18 when she was born. So, and now he's, I'm 30. He'll be 29 this year. Yep. So they've been together almost 11 years. Yeah. Good for him. I'm proud of him. Yeah. Crazy. I hope you found something in this episode you resonate with. I loved getting to hear Kendra's experiences and hope with her help we can change the way the world sees depression. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow the podcast on Instagram at Pink Plus Podcast. Let us know what you think in the post promoting Kendra's episode. Don't forget to follow the show on Anchor or Spotify to get notifications of new episodes. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.